I invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 100 for the Scripture passage we will consider this morning. If you have the Pew Bibles, that's found on page 937. Hear now God's holy, inspired Word for us. A psalm for giving thanks. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name, for the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we read there in the beginning, the subscription of this psalm, or those smaller words at the top, a psalm for giving thanks, is telling us what this psalm is about. And literally, it can also be translated a song for thanksgiving. So a very fitting song for us to consider on this day of Thanksgiving. This psalm here, as we study it this morning, has one basic movement that it repeats twice. The psalmist calls us to give thanks to God, to praise Him, and then it states the reason for us giving thanks to God as rooted in our relationship to Him and with God. So in other words, it's saying praise God, with thankfulness in your heart, because He is worthy in this way. And it makes that movement twice. And in each case, the reason that we should praise God is based upon our dependency upon Him. We are dependent upon Him. We are not autonomous creatures, self-sustainers. We are creatures, rather, ever dependent upon our Creator. And the psalmist is telling us, reminding us that we depend upon the Lord our God, to provide for us all things necessary to sustain us both in body and in soul for our our physical and our spiritual existence. And what is the psalmist's goal for us in, in showing us these things? Well, he wants us to thank God. It's a very simple goal. He wants to inspire authentic, genuine, heartfelt thankfulness to God as we consider who he is. How does he do that? By putting before us a clearer description of who God is. And we learn from that, from this psalm, an important truth. That the more that we know God rightly, then the more we will have thankful hearts. As the title of our sermon, Knowing God Inspires Thankfulness. Knowing God rightly inspires thankfulness. And so let's consider the basis for that first to praise God here. And we learn that He is worthy of our joyful songs of thanks because God starts, sustains, and will save our physical existence, our bodies. Why? Well, because He has made us bodily. The text says, it is He who made us, and we are His. And He made us bodily. Now that term, Bodily, it's intentional that I'm using it in this way because God did not make us in bodies or with 
bodies, which would imply that we are some spiritual selves apart from our bodies. And too many Christians assume that our body is this unnecessary kind of casing or shell to our soul, which is our true self. But that is not the true way of thinking about who we are. We are what we are, what God has made us to be, both body and soul united. And that is exactly why Christ, the Son of God, came not only to redeem our souls, but also our bodies as well. His first arrival that we will soon be celebrating with the, uh, the Advent season was an incarnation. He came in carne, the, the root word there in Latin, in the flesh he came, because the human body, by God's design, is good. Also, this is why he died and rose from the grave bodily, not merely spiritually. And so we notice that we are to give thanks to God because he cares for us and loves us bodily, not just spiritually. He has made us body and soul. Now, as we think about this, that does not mean that you must love and self-identify with every aspect of your body today. Why? Because of sin and the curse upon the created order, we find in our own bodies defects, right? In fact, we find defects in all parts of God's creation, including ourselves. And so any true defect that might be in our bodies is not really who you are, really who I am. And that defect won't carry over into glory either. And this is the same way, right, that it works for our souls. Any defect of sin that stains our souls, like a a bad habit or a vice, well, that is not who you really are in Christ. And you will most surely be cleansed from that bad habit, that sin, that vice, when you enter into glory. And so, too, we will be cleansed and purged from all defects, and our bodies will also be glorified with our souls in the day of the resurrection. But here's the point, that our Creator God, He delights in our bodily existence. And so the Lord our God, He takes care of us, the psalm is saying. Takes care of us like a shepherd, tenderly feeding and guiding and directing His sheep. And we should celebrate His bodily care for us all days, every day, every morning, midday and evening, but especially on this day as well. And what do we praise Him for? How does He care for us? Well, God sustains our bodily existence by providing from His good creation and all of its seasons of harvest, the food and drink that sustains us. Apart from His provision and protection, our bodies, think about this, our bodies would quickly starve, we would shrivel up, and eventually our bodies would sift as dust back into the soil beneath our feet. If it were not for His provision and protection. In fact, apart from His providence upholding all things together, the very molecules of our bodies would dissemble and disintegrate into nothingness if God was not upholding us together. Amazing. And so we depend upon God for provision and protection, like sheep depending upon their shepherd, guiding them and feeding them. But beyond that analogy, we depend upon God for more than just provision and protection. We depend upon God for life itself. The sheep, think about this, the sheep, they would exist, right? They would still exist apart from their shepherd, whereas we, we would not exist apart from God. 
we would not exist apart from him sustaining and upholding us together. And why, the psalmist says, because he made us. We are his creatures. And this means, let's ponder this reality here, that there was a time, a very, very long time, in fact, when you did not exist at all. In a sense, your physical body, our physical bodies, we can say, are derivative of the dust of the earth. God made man from the dust of the earth and derivative of the DNA that has been passed along through our ancestors until it reached us, right? But there was a time when their DNA was not. There was a time when dust itself was not. And hopefully, one day I will be, as the saying goes, as old as dirt, right? But even dirt is not old when compared to the ancient of days, God himself, who in Genesis 1 speaks from what is to us the mysterious black hole of eternity and all things come into existence. But God is infinitely older than dirt. He is the maker of all matter, including you and your body. And not only that, not only in your body, but also your soul, your, your spiritual self had no pre-existence prior to you being conceived, prior to you being born. Every part of you came into being within time, within time and space, whereas God stands outside of time and space. Our bodies came into being from natural generation, but God is the Alpha and the Omega. There is no beginning or end to God. And so this is why we ought to give thanks to God. He is worthy of our joyful praise because He is our Creator and our sustainer, and we depend entirely upon him for our bodily existence, both now and in the resurrection and forevermore. And we learn that he loves our bodies. But that's not all. That's not the only reason why we ought to make a joyful noise of praise to God. The psalmist then calls us in the second movement of the psalm to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why should we do that? Well, he tells us why. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And so we see here that God also starts, sustains, and will save our spiritual existence, our souls he loves as well. And why? For he is good. He is Good. Not only does he do good on occasion or most of the time, he always does what is good because he is good in his nature. By comparison, we are not good because we do not always do what is good. We often do bad things, evil things, and our hearts are often a wellspring of wicked desires. In fact, before the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, making us new and giving us a new principle of life, connecting us to Jesus, before that, well, the scriptures say back in Genesis that every thought and intention of our heart is only evil continually. That's how bad we are. And since we are not good in, our, in and of ourselves, well, our souls are in peril. We are in danger of what awaits those who take the path of evil. The end of that path is God's judgment and his wrath and eternal death. And so what saves us 
we who are bad, from the just punishment of him who is good. What can save us? Well, the psalm tells us his love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is exactly what bad people need. Not just a good God, but also one who is loving and faithful. And that is precisely who the one true God is. He is good, yes, but more than that, he has committed himself to us in love. He has sworn his steadfast love and faithfulness to us by way of covenant. He has set his love upon us and he will never take it away. And even though we were far from perfect, even though we were bad to the bones, God still invites us to enter into his gates, to come into his presence, into his lovely abode, not just for a short tour of God's house, right? Sometimes we have visitors and we give them a tour of our house. Not just for that. Not just even for a short-term stay. Maybe you have relatives or friends coming to stay for a weekend. Not just for that. But God invites us to move in permanently, forever, into his glory. He bids us to join him in glory, into the fullness of his presence, as his adopted children, as his beloved bride. Why? Why? Because at the altar, when Jesus saw his bride, the church, flaws and all, he did not run away from his bride or the commitment. In the garden and at Golgotha, Jesus did not let our imperfections dissuade him from his prior engagement to us. He saw all our ugly sins up close and personally, and yet instead of turning his eyes away from us with disgust, which is what we might think he would do, he fixed his eyes ever upon us with warm, the warm countenance of his love. And at that kind of ceremony to seal the union between Christ and his bride, the church, Christ literally laid down his life in love for her, in love for us, in love for you, Christian. And when he said on the cross, it is finished, he was saying to his bride, the church, and to each one of us who belong to her, I, Jesus, the Messiah, take you to be mine, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, as long as eternity shall last, it is finished and you are mine forevermore. You see, Christ showed us God's love on full display back on Calvary, on the cross, and that love of God, Christian, is just as strong for you today as it was on that day. Think of that. How do I know that? Well, the psalmist says here, his love endures forever. It was not just for a moment, not just for a time. This means it is irrevocable, inexhaustible, immortal love. His love is steadfast and constant. It does not wax or wane. It does not diminish or dull with time. It is forever. It is eternal. And that also means that your lack of love for God, your disinterest in Him and your self-absorbed love does not alter or change God's love for you. You can do nothing to make His love less steadfast or less constant. And this is so hard for us to understand and really comprehend because we do not love each other 
in this way. We often love each other based on others' love for us, towards us. And so that means that the more someone loves you, the more someone cares and sets their affection upon you and does love for you, well, the more likely you are to love them in response. But that's not how God's love works. In Deuteronomy 7, we read this, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. In other words, it's saying, it's not because he found something lovely or attractive in you. No. What is the reason for him setting his affection upon us? Well, it says in continuation, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. So why does he love us? Why did he love us? He loves us because he loves us. That's it. The reason for his love is not found in us. The reason is found in himself and who he is. And that is such good news for us. It means that even if you are unlovely because of your sins, because of the way you act, even if you are unlovely, he still loves you. Not because he finds something in you that is lovely, but rather because he chose to love you. And he promised to love you by way of covenant. Why would God do such a thing? Well, John tells us because God is love. God is love. It's hard for us to love others. It requires strength and determination, especially when the other person is rude and disrespectful to us in some way or another. How then does God draw strength to love you in all your mess, even though you are rude and disrespectful to him and disobey him day after day? He does not draw from a wellspring of love that is limited. No, he draws from his own heart, which is a bottomless well of love, because he is love itself. So, Christian, his love for you will never run dry because he is love. How do we know this is true? Well, the psalmist tells us, because God is true. God is true. His faithfulness continues to all generations. In Hebrew, the root word there for faithfulness is also truth. Truth. And it reminds me of a song that I sing to my boys. I've sung to Josiah since he was just a little baby. Um, the song Fly Me to the Moon by Frank Sinatra. And one of the lines there in that song is, please be true, please be true. Kind of an old-fashioned way of saying, please be faithful to your promises. Be true to your love to me. Don't give your heart to another. Never forsake me. Please be true. Well, we don't have to beg God to be true. We don't have to wonder if he will be true. His faithfulness continues to all generations, the psalmist says. Not to some, not just to your, the former generation or the one after, but to all generations, including yours, including you. God is always true, always faithful to his promises of love. Therefore, since he is so true, we can know for certain that his love for us is true. And it always will be true. What can hold us and keep us both body and soul? What can sustain and save us both bodily and spiritually? What is powerful enough to safeguard our vulnerable souls even after death divorces us from our bodies? Well, the answer is not what, but who is 
the Lord your God, your maker, your sustainer, your redeemer, whose love is steadfast, eternal, and true. He holds and keeps you. He sustains and saves you. And on the last day, the day of Christ's return, he will work a powerful remarriage of your body and soul in the resurrection of the dead. Why? Because he finds something lovely in you? Is that why? No. No, because he found reason in himself to love you. And since he never changes, his love for you will never change either. And so this is the second reason why we should praise the Lord our God. Not only does he sustain and save us bodily, but he also sustains and saves our souls with his love, both in this life and for all of eternity. That is his promise. What should this knowledge of God inspire in each and every one of us? Thankfulness, gratitude, love. In fact, according to the opening line of this psalm, the Lord delights to hear the noise of joy lifted up to him from all the earth. And we learn from this that ideally God wants all creation, all the earth, every animal, every part of creation to praise him. And humanity alone was created and equipped in the image and likeness of God in order to lead all of creation as kind of the conductor of praise and thanksgiving to God. We are supposed to be the lead vocalists in the choir of creation, singing God's praises and inviting all the earth to sing with us to the praise and glory of God. And even though we have failed, we sing off-key with our disobedience and ungrateful hearts Jesus came and obeyed for us and is now in glory, still clothed in our humanity, leading a new choir of praise to God. And by the Spirit, Jesus is now tuning our hearts to sing God's praises in harmony with him more and more. And so with Jesus united to him, we have hope of glory that in the new heavens and the new earth, we will fully know God. And because we will fully know God, our hearts will be full of thanksgiving. And we will join in all the sounds and noises of the new creation in this melodious harmony of praise to our Creator, whose love endures forever. May the Spirit of God instill in our hearts such joyous praise by ever considering more and more His generous provision for us in all things, bodily and spiritually, both now and through death and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray.